Before we get started, a quick disclaimer. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. With that, hello and welcome to the Range of Capital podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, portfolio manager at Rangely. With me as always, my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Demuth. Uh, today, we're going to start by talking about an insane deal from Amazon's TV unit, and then we're going to move on to some insanity in the world of ICOs and many IPOs. So let's start with the insane deal from Amazon's TV unit. It, it kind of follows along the line of there's been a lot of news in the classic IP media world. It was kind of headlined by Amazon's paying $250 million for the global rights to the Lord of the Rings prequel TV shows. Based on what I've seen, this is by far the largest TV deal ever done. The $250 million represents just the cost for the rights, not the cost for the actors or anything else. It's something that one industry observer called insane in one of the stories we saw on it. This deal, it's just part of Amazon's doubling down on its media business. Obviously, they're looking to compete with Netflix. They're going to spend $5 billion on content this year alone. They're going to experiment with a free ad-supported version of their Prime video service. And kind of along the same lines, Comcast slash NBC Universal's Illumination Entertainment Division news broke that they were close to signing an agreement to make animated Super Mario movies. This is the same division that made Despicable Me and the Minions franchises. So that's pretty exciting. So Chris, I'll flip it over to you. What do you think of Despicable Me, Minions, Super Mario movies, Amazon signing up the Lord of the Rings prequel movies? Love Despicable Me, love Minions. And am a Super Mario skeptic. These video game movies have had a spotty history, but I think that it's really kind of the other, the flip side of, I mean, it's starting with the spectacle. It's the flip side of what Jeff Bezos is trying to do with a quarter of a billion dollars for Lord of the Rings, which is starting with the writing. I, I, I love great writing great acting. And I think that if you start with the premise that there are people who've stood the test of time, whose full works have not been put out there, that seems to me to be a really credible place to start for as he is trying to do find the next Game of Thrones. My only concern is that I think for something that is spectacle, that is grand, that it has this huge scale, it is a good place to start. But I think for a lot of the successes for the content providers, it's going to be more organic. It's going to be more kind of pigs at the trough. Don't look for one great thing. Look for 30 great things. Fire 10 of them. Five, 10 might be okay. And then in the, the remainder winners, there might be one or two great that you can then kind of invest more in. So yeah, no, I think the scale is spectacular and Lord of the Rings is probably a good place to start. Yeah. So look, I, I think I agree with a lot of the points. Like I do think the Super Mario movies, I think the the video game franchise is probably the biggest video game franchise out there. It's the best known. You know, there's a reason they haven't tried to do a Super Mario movie. Both the history of video game movies is awful, and the Super Mario movie in the early 90s, I hear, I think Nintendo was so embarrassed by it that they never tried to do another movie again. It is interesting with Lord of the Rings, a lot of the reporting I saw was... You know, there have been six Lord of the Rings movies. They've done The Hobbit. They've done The Lord of the Rings. Like, where do you go? It's clear they're going to have to dive into that universe and kind of find little pieces and uh, bits that weren't fully fleshed out in the movies or that Tolkien might have only kind of alluded to. So they're going to have to explore kind of the nooks and crannies of the Middle Earth. But I think this all has one overarching thing, and it's something we've talked about on this podcast before, and that's all of these 
media companies are looking for trophy IP assets that will naturally draw eyeballs, that will naturally draw people to them. You know, like, as you said, Jeff Bezos, his thing is, find me the next Game of Thrones. If you're looking for the next Game of Thrones, the only kind of fantasy thing out there that even rivals Game of Thrones is probably Lord of the Rings in terms of the lore and all that sort of stuff. So I think this makes all the sense in the world. And, you know, you grab Super Mario, it's something that people from the 80s have such a connection to. It's one of the few things that can really draw eyeballs in and build a franchise. It also kind of protects your downside side that you're going to have a certain number of people that just that connection automatically and my guess is the analytics from the data on that is pretty clear you can avoid for the most part losing a lot of money there you know i don't know if you recall the last movie that we discussed in detail on our podcast oh i, but I went back and i kind of looked at the history on monster truck to see if there was going to be a sequel not looking good for a sequel and even with all of the different ways you can make money with a movie now in terms of foreign distro and so forth i think they got back maybe 50 cents in their dollar so just to remind listeners monster truck was i believe it was a paramount picture that Paramount had to take a $100 million write-off before the movie came out because it was so bad that it was clear it wasn't doing anything. But, you know, I think both the monsters and something you said earlier, like one of the things you worry about is if you try to create spectacle by just pumping money into something, you worry that what you get is, you and I were talking earlier and used, what was it? Waterworld. 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 You, you worry that you get Waterworld where you just try to create spectacle and it's awful. You know, I think of the more recent example over the summer, Tom Cruise had the Mummy reboot movie that was supposed to kick off this whole Monsters franchise that was just awful. And I, I think a lot of it is because when you try to create it, you lose kind of that creative freedom. And if your whole end game is to create this big universe, well then kind of the little pieces do matter too and you kind of miss that so I, I worry amazon paying 250 million they're going to build out this big thing and it's going to miss a little bit of the uh the creativity and the fun that really is necessary for creating a franchise you know money has so many different uh, functions but one is it forces trade-offs and so as a creative person you have to look and you say oh i'll do this or i'll do that and you can really see what something looks like that doesn't have those normal trade-offs. You know, you look at kind of interior decor from a Saudi prince, or you look at a develop home developer when they build a house. It frequently makes no trade-offs, so it kind of has every feature and kind of it gets a little unwieldy. And I think that uh, movies of that scale can suffer from the same fate. And then one last thing, we were talking about this before the podcast as well, I wanted to touch on was another throwaway in there was Amazon is looking to build out a free ad-supported yeah. video service. And I I think one thing that people underestimate when people are throwing when these big internet companies are throwing around this huge money for IP that will draw eyeballs to it is you don't necessarily need to make the return from just the video. You know, you and I were talking Amazon, they're going to put out this Lord of the Rings show. And if you just think, hey, Chris is watching the Lord of the Rings show. Amazon has all your data. They've got your credit card. They know all about you. They can be blasting you and not even blasting you just at the right moment. They can target you and say, hey, why don't you buy the Lord of the Rings book? Why don't you buy some Lord of the Rings t-shirts, some clothing? Here's four other books or four other TV series that we think you'll like that are kind of similar to Lord of the Rings. I mean, the synergies from once you have someone's attention and you've got all of their data and control that consumer, it's so high. And that's one of the things I think we've talked on this podcast before, you know, sports rights. I think the giant internet players are going to come in a big way because once you have a sports right, you have somebody watching something for three hours very intently and you have all of their information. I mean, I, the synergies to that with an online player are just going to be 
unbelievable. Absolutely. Cool. Anything else here? Or do you want to move on to SEC warning against celebrities and ICOs? Let's move on. Okay. So the SEC earlier this month, they released, and this is a quote from the Wall Street Journal, a forceful statement that says celebrities who endorse stock sales and coin offerings without disclosing pay may be breaking the law. And, you know, we had started to see a lot of celebrities endorsing, particularly coin ICOs. Paris Hilton, Floyd Mayweather, and The Game all use their kind of social media platforms to endorse coin ICOs. Ashton Kutcher had backed a company that successfully pulled off a mini IPO. We can go through a lot more on the stats behind these, but the basics are when you do a mini IPO or an ICO, there's much less regulation than kind of a big IPO, a Snapchat type IPO. And these are just rife with, I don't want to say outright fraud, but you know, the history of these is pretty poor. There are a lot of examples like Bill Goldberg, the former pro wrestler, he backed a technology company that converted gas engines to electric engines. He backed their IPO and their stock's down about 50% since IPOing. There's a lot of shady characters involved with these. So I, I wanted to turn it over to you. What do you think about the increasing trend of celebrities endorsing IPOs and ICOs? I have mixed feelings. I think that I'm very, very interested in blockchain. I'm a big supporter of the idea and own Bitcoin and uh, am, am interested in any of these others. And on the IPO side, I'm a was a big proponent of the Jobs Act and I like deregulation and free markets. All of that is premised on full disclosure. And when you're dealing with retail investors, it's premised upon full disclosure that is relevant and useful to people in the form that they use information in. So a concern uh, would be that if you look at S1's uh, disclosure quantity and standards, uh, the SEC has historically looked at claims and they verify claims, but they don't, in a funny way, have some aggregate number of claims that they push back on that they then say, I need to raise my level of suspicion at the claimant. You know, you, you might have a hundred things that you say, and if they find 20 or 30 fishy, you can just remove them and mm-hmm. then file the remaining filing where I would say, Hey, if this is a job applicant, you would say after one or two, I have a problem with the person, not just uh, with the claims. And then secondly, when you have, uh, we saw this earlier with reverse stock splits, when you have tricks to get around S1s. You have to ask yourself, why is somebody seeking that? Maybe it's just a smaller scale and maybe they have a good reason to raise capital, but you should really ask yourself, why are they avoiding an S1? And if it's criminality in their background, that's something to probably be uh, pretty aware of. Uh, Nothing correlates with people's behavior like their past behavior. People don't change that much. Uh, Redemption is great in nonfiction. It doesn't exist in in the nonfiction world as much as in the fiction world, though. And uh, so I think that uh, these will uh, really draw you know, there's a there's a uh, adverse selection of who goes after these categories, and my fear is that it will really uh, come to crush the Jobs Act. Yeah, no, I I think everything you said is spot on. You know, the the thing I'm so surprised is is that people kind of continue to fall for them, or that almost the message isn't the disclosure. You know, like if I see a pro wrestler who's putting out on his Instagram or something like, "Hey, this company is going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread," and they do gas engine to electric technology, I'm going to be like. What does he know about this? Or there's another example of an app that connects businesses to part-time workers that spent $12 million promoting its IPO on social media and its stocks dropped 50% since the IPO. And it's kind of like, hey, if this company needs to promote on Twitter 
to me to buy their IPO. Like, is this really a good company? Like, I almost feel like the disclosure is in the message. So that's just the strange thing about it to me. Like, I think your adverse selection is right on both the investor side and the company side, right? Like, it's double adverse selection there. Uh, Floyd Mayweather, in a sense, is a walking disclosure. He has big piles of money in a significant number of his Instagram images. And so you kind of figure he's pretty honest, in a sense, about what he's in it for. But if you look at not just that it's celebrities, not just people with big followings, but what kind of followings they have, it tends to be the not just Paris Hilton, literally herself, but kind of beauty contest type of women and fighters and kind of people who will attract lower age and in some cases lower education and so forth type of audiences. And the SEC sometimes when they put out these alerts, it's almost funny because it's such a stiff upper lip and seriously phrased, but it says it is never a good idea to make an investment decision just because someone famous says a product or service is a good investment. And I would say they're right in that. You could also expand that to say it's never a good idea to make an investment decision just because anyone says it's a good investment, but it's good of them to let people know. That. No, and, and you know, I I think a I, I thought there there were interesting similarities between this this topic and the topic we talked on the first thing where you know Amazon's looking for big IP that naturally attracts eyeballs, and these companies are paying for celebrities who naturally attract eyeballs that are more likely to give them money, right? So I thought there were interesting connections there, but I do think like the more I, I always feel like I've got this like war between the libertarian and the liberal side of me waging, and like the more liberal side, the libertarian side of me agrees with you, where like hey, the disclosure should be enough if people want to give their money away like go for it but the more liberal side of me looks at this and says like this jobs act if companies are raising money and their stocks getting cut in half this quickly and they're raising money on the backs of celebrities and paid endorsements and the they've got all these shady characters it's like liberal side of me says this shouldn't be allowed. Like, just flat out, this shouldn't be allowed. It's a destruction of capital. Well, let me just push back slightly on the observation that a significant number of these stocks have gone down a lot. If you think about, I think that's very much a public security value investor perspective like we have where it's very bad if you lose half of your money in an investment. But I have friends that are a lot wealthier than I am who've been hugely successful, who the majority of their investments have gone down 100%. And they're kind of the angel investors, tech California. And usually what happens when they make an investment is that they lose all their money and then they make it all back. And then some every dozenth or two dozenth investment they make. And so maybe with some of these small startups, conceivably it's in that category. And if you look at what they're doing, the question I always ask myself is, do they have a good reason for the capital? And is the end use customer different from the investor or is attracting the investment? uh, Are you their customer in essence? And I think that if you ask, are they trying to be valuable or are they trying to be successful? If they're trying to be successful as a money raiser, that you might just be the customer. Yeah, no, look, I I think those are all great points. I I love the analogy to VCs and angel investing where, you know, you make a hundred and one pays off and it pays for all the failures though. Again, the issue kind of is like all of these guys, they've got such shady histories. Like it seems like this is more fertile ground for fraud and abuse issues than what you're saying. But I I do like that other point. I just wanted to defend against the data point being clear because several of these have lost money, which they have. In fact, substantively, when I asked people who I can see who I look up to as sophisticated investors in any of these areas. They are incredibly disdainful about the companies that go this route mm-hmm. and would never invest yep, in yep, them. Yep. And once it kind of just is pushed out to the mass market like this, there's no overlap between this and the kind of things they'd be interested in. Perfect. No, I, I thought it was a great point all around. I think we can end it there. You good to wrap it up? 
Yes, perfect. So let's wrap it up there. Uh, before we hit our disclosures, just a quick reminder. If you like this podcast, the best way to get more of them is to recommend us to a friend and get them to start listening. Disclosures, I don't think we have any disclosures. I'll be at the Liberty Investor Day on Thursday. So if you're there, give me a shout out and we will probably talk to you guys next week. You have something? Go ahead. Think for yourselves, even if we become celebrities. Don't do any <laughs> of this just because we say it. Talk to you guys soon. Bye.